listening to the Utah Man Podcast. For fans by fans. Your number one Utah Utes podcast. Now your hosts, Cameron, Ryan, and Scott. Welcome on into the Utah Man Podcast. On this episode, we're talking the Holiday Bowl with Utah and Northwestern. And we're talking with Rich Davis from Inside NU to give us a great look into Northwestern. I'm Cameron, and we got Ryan. Hey, Ute Nation. And Scott. Yeah, buddy. Let's go. How we doing? Merry Christmas, everyone. Ho, ho, ho. It's an exciting time of year. Christmas is upon us. New Year's is just right around the corner. And we have Utes in the Holiday Bowl. Yeah, and we've got we got little uh, minor league uh, bowl games going on right now, getting us ready for the big time. So it's uh, no, <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. BYU, congrats on your potato bowl. And, congrats uh, to those BYU Tigers. Those BYU Tigers. <laughs> <laughs> well, Wilson uh, Wilson did look good. Eighteen of eighteen for over three hundred yards. Yeah. So uh, played well, but. Uh, yeah, let's move on to bigger and better things here. Moving on to bigger and better things. So as everyone knows, there has been some changes with the coaching staff. A couple coaches have moved. Let's let's just get the first one out of the way. Gary Anderson. Yes, yes. I could not wait to, to get Logan. to Logan. Can't wait to hear Cameron's take on the old used car salesman. I hey I let's I, let's set let's set let's set the set the stage here. Enthralled with him, right? No, I was I loved the hire when when Kyle brought him back. Oh, so you you go you're a flip flopper on your oh. used car salesman. Wow. I just said I don't. The only thing I ever said is I wasn't too sure about him as a head coach at Utah. Okay. The only thing I well, said. True. He's and he, and that he's not. And you were a little upset when he went to Oregon State and started recruiting Utah. That's where the used car salesman came in. Gary was good at Utah. Obviously, uh, it was good to have him back. I mean, you could see the impact that he made on the defensive side, especially on that defensive line, as uh, as he was happy and did not want to be a head coach again. And that first offer came at Utah <laughs> State, and he was gone. So he either goes and, and coaches till he's done coaching, or that he might stay there until the Utah job, if he's in the running for the Utah job at some point. Well, 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 well. Hold that thought because he was asked. By their AD, if Kyle retires, uh, you know, he wants to stay in the state of Utah. Um, and if Utah came calling, and, and he said no. He said he wants to be an Aggie. That's where he plans to retire. So if you believe this this round of uh, And then, well, speak. you forgot the next question because, in, or the next response Gary had. He said, and I can get you into this great Toyota Camry for only <laughs> 2000 down and then 190 a month after that. I would have a hard time seeing Gary in a Camry. Maybe a Prius. I think he, he seems he seems environmental, environmentally conscious. Maybe it's a hybrid Camry. <laughs> so Anderson heads up to Utah State. He takes J- Justin Enna uh, with him to be his D coordinator. Are you guys worried about that movement with now Enna leaving? I, I mean, I don't think you really want to ever lose continuity um, in the coaching staff. But I, I would say if you're going to lose anybody on the defensive side, Anna would probably be the one that I would let go first. Um, really love really what uh, what we have on the, on the defensive side, on the, on the coaching staff. 
Anna hasn't done a ton in recruiting, but all the other coaches rave about him. And obviously we saw the linebacking core this year and what they did was phenomenal. Obviously it helps having the type of talent that we had. Um, but it's a good opportunity for him. Obviously every coach is looking for an opportunity for that next step, um, whether it's a coordinating position or, you know, the head job. So, you know, and he gets that with Gary. He gets an opportunity to go and, and, and call a defense and, and be in charge of a defense. So you can't fault a guy for that uh, um, at all. And I think that's what you want with the coaching staff is if you want you want guys that want to move up in their careers, right? When they make lateral moves, that's where you kind of question things. But whether it being a head coach or a coordinator uh, to, to move up, I, I think that speaks volume for the type of program that you're you're running and the kind of guys you want to bring into a program. And Gary took uh, our assistant strength and conditioning uh, coach uh, Jordan Hicks and made him the uh, the head guy. Um, over the Aggie program. So he definitely, uh, in his short time, made himself feel welcome with our staff and uh, took a few with him, which is what uh, what Gary does. But uh, nonetheless, we wish the Aggies up north nothing but, uh, nothing but success because they're not on our schedule. And uh, much to the dismay of their AD. I will say for the other schools in in the state, not not counting Utah, but the other programs, I would be afraid of Gary Anderson at Utah State. No, he's. That's I, all, I think as far as recruiting, I think it's, it's, it's going to fit him really well. I mean, he he can recruit. Um, it's it, it's kind of well a situation that I think you know Oregon State was was a tough deal for him. Wisconsin, he had success, but he also had a full cupboard when he when he took over there. Um, Utah State just seems like the type of gig that that fits well with him, and uh, I th- I think he'll do well. And he doesn't really have to rebuild it because it's it's already rolling pretty good up there. So I I suspect you're going to see just continual. Uh, and he's made some good hires. Um, Mike Sanford's son, um, who uh, as the OC right is uh was let go at uh, Western Kentucky as the head coach, uh, but was an OC at uh, at Notre Dame prior to that. So. I expect that you're going to see probably a high-flying offense, and, and Gary will have that defense continually playing well. And then the the next coaching move that was made that's really made the headlines is Troy Taylor is leaving to become the head coach at Sacramento State. He will be back for the Holiday Bowl to call that game. So he's still involved uh, with the offense. So, so, so he wasn't pushed out. I just want to clarify. <laughs> is that is that the route we're going here? Is, is that where we're going to jump right to? The controversy, whether he was pushed out? No, or... I, I don't want to waste our time with uh, the nonsense of our sports media here. But uh, but uh, Big kind of came out of left field a little bit. Definitely. Yeah. And it uh, was not something I was expecting. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of torn. I'm torn a little bit on this, whether or not this is a, a good thing for Utah. Um, obviously, Troy, he's made some strides. There's no denying that. And I think he's pro- brought some credibility to the offense finally. It's it's a better position than when he yeah, got it's a, here. Yeah, it's a better product. And, and, and overall, I think, you know, he's leaving it better than he found it. Exactly. But, you know, I don't think he ever really turned the offense into what we all expected mm-hmm. him to. No. Um, this high flying, just potent offense. We this saw iPhone it. offense. We 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 saw it over a, a short stretch where we were, we scored forty points in four consecutive games. Um, 
but it wasn't there. That consistency wasn't there. And 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 whether whether or not you want to believe there was some internal um, friction between the running the ball enough with the talent that we had at the running back position and throwing it, and that's that's another debate. But I'm a little torn on: is this good for us? Do we dodge a bullet, or is this a is this a, is this a blow to lose him? I think from a from the standpoint, I mean, I think you can go both ways, but I think it possibly could be a blow from the standpoint of maybe even recruiting quarterbacks because he he is a former quarterback. He knows how to coach quarterbacks, and our offense, as you said, hasn't been lights out on fire like we all kind of anticipated it could be when he was initially hired but we but it has it has gotten better so i think you you see those things and it, it entices kids to come play so that could that could be a detriment and but it's also going to depend on who Kyle hires if whether that turns into a detriment or not and i agree my my, my counter would be what quarterback has he brought into the program that has helped us it's hard to say cuz he hasn't been in the in the program for very long right he's only here two seasons Right. Um, so who? Let's just the quarterbacks that he, that signed while he was here: Jason Shelley, Jack Tuttle. She- Shelley was not one of his recruits. Shelley was she- yes. Shelley was on board with Utah before. I think Taylor he was, was an A Rod. I believe yeah. he was an A Rod recruit. I just said quarterbacks that had signed though while he was here. Correct. Really, Tuttle's the only guy that he got into the fold, and that lasted six games. So. It was still a, but I also think highly recruited uh, guy. Though. It, it was, but, a, it was a great but, signing. It fortunately, <laughs> ended there. But, but not only a quarterback though. But we know of other offensive players that came because of Troy Taylor, for sure, of, especially for sure. wide receiver, wide yes, receiver. Guy Holiday is a heck of a recruiter. And however, I, I mean, we all know that there were guys that came because of Troy Taylor that weren't quarterbacks. No, and I, I think he had a positive impact on the program, and, and I agree. I think he helped the, the offensive recruiting. Um, and, 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 and getting just Utah, get that bad taste out of people's mouth when it came to offense, when you talked about Utah. And so I think he's done a lot for that program, but you know, you, you, I don't think we can also sit here and say, man, just look at all that he's done for us because, you know, we are indebted to him because I, I, I think there's definitely some shortcomings. Obviously we didn't land a, at this point, we still have yet to land a quarterback in this class. We we put all of our eggs in one basket that uh, spurned us for for ASU. So he definitely wasn't the answer we all I think thought because even this year when we all kind of anticipated preseason the potential that this offense had and we got through the first four games and we're like oh my gosh this is horrible and then all of a sudden something clicked and we were racking up forty points a game and then. The Pac-12 championship game hit, and we couldn't even find the end zone. So, and that is that you got to credit Washington; they have an and injuries and injuries. But, but it wasn't consi- there was there was some up and down even through the, his second season on the job. Yeah, and 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 I think uh, had he come back for this next year with the senior laden team, with so much offensive talent coming back, I think then we could have finally seen the the true Tro- Troy Taylor, right? And and seeing what he could do, a third year in the program with that type of talent, I think this offense really could have taken off. And it still could, regardless of who is named uh, the OC moving forward. But 
obviously, you know, in this in this profession, you got to look out for yourself. And he did that. And, and an opportunity came up that mm, probably not an opportunity any of us expected to see. Not a path you would expect a, a, a good offensive coordinator to go. But nonetheless, he gets to go home and, and he's get, he gets a guaranteed deal that's in this business is unheard of. And oh, guaranteed yeah. seven years. With, with, a, with an with option a, with for an, an eight. option eight in your hometown. He still has family that lives there. That's a dream situation. That way you said, Scott, coaches in the industry don't get it. I mean, we've talked to coaches that have left the profession because of their job was dependent on another coach or another person or their they were living in situations where their family didn't want to be across the country. Uh, so you can't fault him. Yes, it's it's a lower tier program because it's uh, Division Two or, or whatnot. But to be a, a to get your dream of being a head coach in your hometown for guaranteed seven years, possibly eight years, that's hard to turn down. Well, and if you think about it, I mean, you, you look at his track record, and and he himself on uh, ESPN seven hundred earlier this week stated that you know. Money isn't everything, and you think, oh, let's just throw throw money at them, right? Throw money at them. Well, to to some guys, most people, that probably works. If you if you write a big enough check, they're gonna stay. But I mean, you look at his his track record, where he was he was a high school teacher, he was a high school coach, probably not making very good money in uh, in a state with cost of living is crazy. And and then he he left that for uh, for Eastern Washington. That he he wasn't getting a, a big payday there. His payday came at Utah, where he's making half a million dollars for two years. He probably thought he hit the jackpot. He's got a nice little nest egg that he gets to take back with him to California. And uh, and even though the money's not going to be as good, you know, he's still going to be making probably close to $200,000 a year for guaranteed seven to eight years. So I'd take it for, for, yeah. for him. And he gets to be the head guy. And, you know, some guys, once they've been head coaches, don't always thrive going back to a position where somebody else tells them how to do their job. And if that's a Kyle Whittingham saying, you're going to run the dang ball, Troy, Maybe that didn't always work, and, and, and maybe there was a little bit of friction there, not to the point where he was being forced out, but just friction uh, between any type of coworker, especially in that type of industry. But, yeah, it's, it's uh, again, I'm a little bit on the fence. I'm, I'm anxious to see uh, what direction Kyle goes with this hire to see whether or not uh, it benefits Utah. And I think there's also, you you got to take and put into the equation that uh, – the pressure that he felt as the OC here, just just from the fans themselves, was was fairly high. I think, uh, and and rightfully so to a certain extent. We've we've seen some poor offenses and a lot of offensive coordinators, and we want we want to see production from from a fan standpoint. And now he he's got an opportunity to get a promotion to go home. But what kind of expectations does Sacramento State football have? I mean, it's that's pretty. I don't. I don't want to say cush situation, but it, it's less it, than Utah offensive coordinator in the realm of college football coaching. That's probably as cush as you're going to get. Yeah, probably the only pressure he has is personally to live up to the contract that he's signing. 
outside of that, there I can't imagine there's much fan pressure um, to go and that's a make funny the playoff point, right? every year. That, no, that's a great point because his first big decision, Huntley over Williams. Yeah. And I'm mm-hmm. sure that's something that maybe he wasn't expecting to be as big in, in, in the fans or whatnot, but going to be the complete polar opposite. But knowing what we know now, don't you think he made the right decision? Definitely. Oh, and yeah, that's why I think back, this, is, yes, this yeah. is a much better spot than when he got here is what we've been saying, right? You bet. I, I think, Ryan, you made a great point, and, and maybe as we just kind of wrap this topic up, where does Winningham move from this? Because I think that will also determine on, on how successful this was from what uh, Taylor has done with, with the offense. I don't know. I mean, there's ob- there's the obvious looking at, at staying in-house with, with uh, Harding. Uh, and as we all th- at least speculate that he was heavily involved in some of the play calling as the season progressed. And to some extent, that makes sense and I think leaves some continuity with the team and the players. But at the same time, Utah just came out of the Pac-12 championship game. There's probably some guys out there that want that job. Obviously, he's Harding is the associate head coach. I would imagine he wants this job. If he gets passed over again, does he look elsewhere? Does Whittingham feel like he needs to give him this promotion to keep him? Because you can't give him another title. He's already associate head coach. <laughs> yeah. You can't. You can't times it by two. But to that same point, he was a co-OC, and he he took that away from him. And he has stayed. But if he gets passed over again, no, that's no, that's it's a again, great I, point and I'm, a great question. I'm something I haven't even out there. I haven't even thought about that. So I think that's a great point. Cause, cause but I, I don't think you can. I don't think if you're Whittingham, you can let fear no, and, dictate and, it. And I don't think so either. I don't. I think that's pretty short sighted. But if that were to happen, you're bringing in a new OC and now a new O line coach with. The senior talent that we have, that would be a bummer. That's kind of yeah, a... Well, we know it, Harding's which, very popular with this team. He is. He is. And he's a guy that I think a lot of players would like to see as an OC. Uh, so, I mean, you do run that risk. I mean, it's a gamble either way, right? If Whittingham passes Harding up because he feels that he can get you know a bigger name or, or somebody a little more talented to come in... You kind of have to look at who he might bring in too, because if he brings in somebody with a with a whole new mindset and and an offensive scheme, he might want to bring his own O line coach too. Uh, maybe and maybe Whittingham says no. You know, if I'm bringing you in, Harding has to stay. He he's my assistant, you know, associate head coach, and he's a great O line coach. And you draw the line there, but I think. That that all has to be taken in con- into consideration by Whittingham. Do you guys trust Whittingham with the with the hire? No, he's he's made he's made probably more OC hires than ninety <laughs> percent of the coaches in at, this country. I mean, let's just go back a couple. Dave Christensen was a terrible hire. It was, oh, yeah. and the coaching staff knew that the summer that he was hired. They went on a retreat, and it came back, and people said this isn't going to work. And it was like that the whole season. And then you have... And the and offense then, looked like it. And then he goes and he gets Troy Taylor, someone who doesn't... I mean, it was with his brother that he kind of had a connection there. But kind of unknown. 
and kind of a gamble, not really knowing a guy bring him in. And and as far as as what we're being told, and what I mean, because everyone has seen this coaching staff really got got along together well. Are you guys confident that Winningham can do that again? I think so. I mean, I think like any coach, you're going to make some mistakes, but you're also going to learn from those mistakes. He's obviously learned, you know, and probably missed some things in in a Christensen high or whatnot. But but a good coach is going to learn and 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 hopefully not make those same mistakes again. Obviously, you never know. But I I would I from what we've heard, there's a lot of interest in this job, and that has not always been the case. Normally, Kyle's had to go out and kind of convince some people to take this job. Obviously, if, if Kyle feels that Harding's the man for the job, I'm for it because I think there's a lot of positives that, that Harding brings to the table, um, especially in the short term for next year. But if, if you've got a chance to bring in a pretty up-and-comer um, and a guy who can be pretty prolific with, with this offense and with the talent we have here, I'd like to see him swing for it and uh, because here's the problem I mean we've seen it in recruiting Utah recruits pretty well but we're not on the level of a Washington we're not on a level of a USC we're not on a level of an Oregon now I think we've got better staffs than those staffs have and Utah has proven that they they develop their talent better but the problem is Chris Peterson also develops his talent better and he's he's starting with better talent from mm-hmm. from the start. So Utah has got to be able, they've got to get somebody who can recruit beyond what we've been become accustomed to. You got to get a guy that can go out and bring the type of athlete, the type of player, or the type of quarterback that we have not been able to bring in here to this point to get Utah over the top. To not just get us to the Pac-12 championship game, which is great, and that was huge for this program, but can get us to win this thing and 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 help Utah take that next step. And I think, can Harding do that in recruiting? Can Harding do that as an OC? I don't know. He may be able to. We don't know. We don't know what his yeah, well, talent level is at, the, at calling plays. No, we don't. Um but if 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 we ha- again just going back, if we have that opportunity, I'd like us to swing for the fences a little bit, and and bring in an elite, experienced. Troy Taylor turned out to be good, but he wasn't experienced. We kind of got lucky in a sense. Well, and we had to talk about that how he had to kind of evolve as a as a, as an, a play caller. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, you know, I've, I I think we're at a point now where this program can hire an experienced guy who's proven. And if if we're able to, I think you got to do it, even if you got to throw a little bit more money at it. The other thing we haven't really talked about either, if they if they do stick with Harding and keep it in house to keep some continuity, then you've got to go out and find a quarterback coach because there's nobody on the staff that has played quarterback or can develop quarterbacks. Or and you're also going to need to bring in a quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Just just a small item. I on Twitter yesterday there was a a, a picture of uh, of Washington State's uh, quarterback position, their 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 quarterback group, and um, and and Mike Leach, and there was like forty guys in the picture. <laughs> we got like three. I think there was six. <laughs> six. Or it, seven. it looked like forty. 
Well, compared to us, it was 40. You know, and we we definitely, I love the guys that we have. I love Huntley. I love Shelly. And, you know, Drew Lisk, you hear nothing but good about that kid. But we we, we got we to gotta boost that numbers up. And obviously, they know that, and they're working at it. Um, but you, you hope that we can get some some a quality quarterback in here um, into into this class, and then you're going to need it again in that next class. So, I think I think this this OC hire is huge for for that one reason in and of itself. All right, so great discussion on those coaching changes. One thing I wanted to throw out in defense of, of Jim Harding getting the job, you know, we have been told that players on the team really want Harding to get the OC. They think that they can strive under his offense that he would run, uh, that he is really a, a player's coach. And I, that can go a long ways when trying to decide. But to what we said, this is a better position now. You got to get the best guy possible, whether that's Harding or outside. You got to get the best guy. So it does look like we have Davis Rich on the phone from Inside NU. Uh, before we bring him on, let's you know that that interview is brought to you by Farmers Insurance. For protecting your home, vehicle, and family, look to Farmers Insurance. You can call Scott Omer at 801-307-4046. Or you can also check him out on Twitter at Scott underscore Omer and then the number 8. All right, joining us on the phone now is Davis Rich with Inside NU from SB Nation. Davis, hey, thanks for taking time out of your day to jump on with us. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Happy to be on. The first thing I've got to ask, Northwestern, their, their whole season, was it a success going from preseason to the middle of the season to where they're ending up in the Holiday Bowl? Are you considering that a success for them? I would say the season was definitely a success on the whole, it definitely wasn't linear how Northwestern got there, but if you had asked any Northwestern fan before the season if they'd take um, a Big Ten West title and a and a chance to play for, <laughs> I mean, a Rose Bowl almost, if they'd beaten Ohio State, they would have been in the Rose Bowl. Um, pretty much every Northwestern fan would have taken that. I think um, September wasn't a great time, and a lot of people were um, pretty much writing the season off, but give credit to the coaching staff and the players they rallied and they fought hard and going eight and one in the big 10 is nothing to scoff at yeah davis uh obviously you know looking at looking at utah northwestern breaking down stats there looks to be a lot of similarities between these two programs as far as offensively for northwestern what uh, what should Ute fans expect what type of offense are we going to see um out of northwestern Right, so Northwestern plays uh, like a spread-style offense, but it's actually pretty conservative for the most part. And um, Northwestern's top running back, Jeremy Larkin, actually retired in September after a cervical stenosis diagnosis, and the running game was pretty much stagnant for three or four weeks until the emergence of freshman Isaiah Bowser, who's been um, Northwestern's kind of bell cow back ever since then. And he's been really great. Um, I think he has a hundred yards and more in three or four of the, the seven games he played in um, as a true freshman. And he's kind of a classic um, downhill physical kind of running back. I would expect to see him getting 25, 30 carries. Um, you know, Northwestern tries to establish the run. Um, and then they'll, they'll pass off of that um, with a lot of like spread concepts and stuff like that. 
Clayton Thorson's a four-year starter. He's a pretty good college quarterback. He's not um, a world beater. He's probably not a top NFL draft pick, but um, he's really good at making decisions and pretty accurate in the short and intermediate game. So basically Northwestern's offense is kind of a chunk you off, staying on schedule type of offense. They want to um, get into short yard situations on third down, but they're not going to take the top off the defense. They're one of the least explosive offenses in the country. Um, so really it kind of comes down to execution. Northwestern doesn't really have the best athletes, um, but they're coached well. The scheme is pretty good and it really comes down to execution. But if Utah can get a lot of pressure on the quarterback, if they can bottle up the run, that's when Northwestern's offense would run into problems. You mentioned Clayton Thorson as a four-year starter. I mean, he's got good numbers, uh, twenty over 2,900 uh, yards passing with a 60% completion percentage on the season and, and nine rushing touchdowns. What is he, as I look at the stats, doesn't have a lot of rushing yards, but nine rushing touchdowns. So how, how big of a threat is he in the run game? Yeah, it's funny you ask that. Uh, Clayton likes to joke about that in the press conference. I think there's some stat that he's he's got like the most rushing touchdowns for quarterback in in like Power Five history for someone who still has something like negative 100 rushing yards on the year when he includes sacks. <laughs> so he, he he jokes after games that he he always wants to put a dent in that. Um, I think like seven, at least seven of those touchdowns are from like three yards or less. Northwestern likes to run quarterback sneaks on the goal line. But um, he is a credible run option. Um, I don't know if you remember last year in the Music City Bowl, he actually tore his ACL. Um, and it was at the beginning of the season this year, he wasn't um, really at full speed. He was alternating with the backup quarterback because the doctor wouldn't allow him to play 100% of the snaps. Um, Northwestern was really kind of keeping him in the pocket. They weren't letting him run at all for the last first three or four games of the season. But then... Um, as he got healthier, Northwestern kind of started moving the pocket around. You see some more read options now, some more scrambling, but I'm not sure I would consider Thorson a running threat. He's just, you know, he knows how to find the spot down on the goal line to score a touchdown. Davis, as I can been looking at Northwestern, uh, especially their wide receiving group uh, with those weapons, one guy that's standing out to me is a Cameron Green, and obviously because of the first name, in their passing attack, what are what's one or two wide receivers that you think that maybe Utah fans should be aware of? Yeah, so Cam, Cam Green's a good one to start with. Um, he's in, in Northwestern's offense. The tight end is called the superback. So Cam Green's referred to as a superback, which is a weird Northwestern thing. But if you hear that on TV, that's what it's referred to as. He's actually a, a former wide receiver who was converted to play superback, which means they basically just had him put on like thirty pounds and learn how to block. Um, but the other guys to take note of are Bennett Skoranek. He's kind of Northwestern's deep threat in a sense. He's 6'4", 6'5", really good at using his body in the red zone to catch, you know, fades, back shoulder throws. Um, I think the common theme with with Northwestern's receivers is that aside from Skoranek, they're kind of the profile is kind of like a shorter, quick um, slot receiver type. They're guys who are more possession type receivers rather than guys who are going to you know, run downfield and catch a deep post. Um, so Skronik's definitely a guy to note. The other guy is Flynn Nagel, who was Northwestern's leading receiver this year, but he actually had to leave the Big Ten Championship um, with an ankle injury. So 
I wouldn't be surprised if he played, but I also wouldn't be surprised if he di- if he didn't. We haven't really gotten any updates on Nagel yet. He's kind of the other main guy to watch out for if he does play. He's a great route runner. He's quick. He can make um, defenders miss. The other, I guess, the other guy who has kind of come on late is Kyrie McGowan, who's kind of similar to Nagel in his profile. Um, shorter receiver, quick, good hands, but um, isn't necessarily the most physical receiver. Um, I would say those are kind of the the guys to look out for. So Kyle Whittingham uh, is a former linebacker. He's kind of built Utah as a defensive first team um, to kind of tough as nails. You know, and it seems like Pat Fitzgerald is is pretty similar to that. Obviously, a former uh, uh, Northwestern linebacker himself. And um, how has he built the program and kind of shaped it after his own personality? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because I just wrote an article today for our site kind of comparing the two of them because, you know, they're two of the longest tenured Power 5 coaches. Fitzgerald, obviously, is a defensive-minded coach, and that's where the identity of the team comes from. But I think more broadly, it's about culture. Um, It's kind of like a weird thing, but like Northwestern, um, the football team's Twitter handle is like NUFB family, and you see this word family come up over and over again. And I think... um, Fitzgerald and and the rest of the coaching staff kind of walk the walk when they're um you know creating that culture of family recruits always talk about um how great the coaches are and and how um the football team kind of feels like a brotherhood and I'm sure um that's something that happens at a lot of different schools but um at Northwestern it's pretty unique because Pat Fitzgerald can't really recruit the top recruits because, you know, there's pretty stringent academic requirements to get into Northwestern. The most recent recruiting class was, you know, all three-star recruits. There's there's not really cream of the crop guys. So you kind of do have to build that culture where guys um, sacrifice for each other and guys kind of play above their talent level because otherwise Northwestern won't be successful because they kind of recruit like a, you know, like a lower tier power five team, but they don't play like one. So I think that's where the credit to Fitzgerald goes is his ability to, you know, create this culture of brotherhood and also to assemble a core of coaches who, you know, get these players to kind of play above what the recruiting what the recruiting ratings might say about them. Davis, is if you could give us an idea of what we're gonna see from the defensive side of, of the the ball with Northwestern, what what are their strengths uh, and maybe some standout players? Yeah, so I don't know if you saw the news yesterday, but um, two of Northwestern's defensive starters, uh, defensive tackle Jordan Thompson and strong side linebacker Nate Hall, are both going to miss the Holiday Bowl. They just they're both seniors, and they just had surgeries um, to kind of deal with lingering injuries. So we've kind of seen the last of them, and I think that's a pretty big blow for Northwestern. Thompson was one of the best defensive tackles. Um, in the in the Big Ten this year, and the the depth behind them is a little scarce. So I think that's actually kind of an important loss for Northwestern. Um, and Hall a couple of years ago was you know uh, all Big Ten honorable mention. He had something like 16 or 17 tackles for loss back in 2017. A really disruptive linebacker, um, and that's really tough because Northwestern's strength is really in their front seven, kind of like Utah. I mean Utah's defensive line is like one of the best in the country, um, and Northwestern has some pretty talented players up there too. A couple guys to look for um, defensive end, Joe Gaziano, um, one of the big 10 leaders in sacks, um, just a big nasty pass rusher. Who's also 
pretty good in run defense too. Um, middle linebacker Patty Fisher was, I think, a third-team AP All-American. He's not, um, you know, anything crazy special as like an athlete or as, um, you know, a disruptive player. But if there's a ball carrier around him, like that guy's going to be on the ground. Um, he's he's just a great tackler. He has a knack for making the big play when it's important. And those are kind of the two big guys up front for Northwestern. I would say the weakness is definitely the secondary. Um, there have been a lot of injuries in the secondary, and it's clear that a few of the starters aren't really at full strength. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, who gets reps in the Holiday Bowl and who doesn't. Um, the one really strong player in the secondary is Montre Hardage, cornerback. He's probably one of the best corners in the Big Ten. Um, had a few big interceptions this year, and he's just he's small. He was under recruited, but he's like one of those one of those guys who just gets better year after year in this program, and he's developed into one of the best defenders on the team. But, I mean, if I was Utah's offensive coordinator, I would definitely be attacking Northwestern through the air if possible because that's where the weakness is. I mean, if you watch the Big Ten Championship, you kind of saw how Dwayne Haskins totally picked apart the Northwestern defense um, with just like man-beating coverages. It's it's not that hard to out-athlete Northwestern on the edges like that. Northwestern, you guys have a, a very diverse and, and quite the alumni base. Uh, wh- what do you what do you expect as far as uh, fans traveling to the Holiday Bowl? What could we expect uh, out of that? Well, it's kind of hard to say. Um, I kind of criticize Northwestern's fan base sometimes because they don't seem to, you know, show up to the to the mid November games or the mid October games at home. Usually Northwestern fans are outnumbered by Iowa fans or Nebraska fans or Michigan State fans. But Northwestern fans do do a really good job of showing up when it's really important, like um, for the Big Ten Championship or um, a couple of years ago when they made the NCAA tournament for the first time in men's basketball. Yeah, they, so, they, were, they were actually here in Salt Lake yeah, for uh, that. All three and, uh, of us yeah. were at that game, and yeah, it was yeah, a great you, turnout. There's a ton of Northwestern fans there, right? Yeah, it was a, it was um, a great showing. Yeah, so... I don't know if I'd expect something like that, like um, what happened in Salt Lake City, but I think there will be a solid contingency of a few thousand fans. I wouldn't expect more than maybe 10,000, but you never really know. Um, there's probably a, a pretty strong alumni base in Los Angeles that might be able to, to trek down to San Diego. But um, I wouldn't say Northwestern football fans are are known for traveling particularly well for the holiday bowl. If it was the Rose Bowl, it'd probably be a different story. We we both were so close to the Rose Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like the consolation Rose Bowl. I know, right? <laughs> awesome, David. Hey, thanks again uh for coming on. You know, I because of the holidays and what and whatnot, we're recording this a, a little over a week from the game. But can you just do you have any thoughts or or, or keys that you think will will play into this game and do you have a winner this far out? I don't like to pick against Northwestern because they kind of um, they always kind of they always win when I pick against them. They're very hard to predict, but I think this is kind of a tough matchup for them. Um, I think I don't know. I'm I'm a millennial, so I always I was kind of thinking of that meme where it's like the two Spider-Mans kind of pointing at each other. And I think that's Northwestern <laughs> and Utah. Um, they're just like really similar, I, but I think Utah statistically has a bit better of a defense. Uh, I watched a lot of the Pac-12 championship game and I was really impressed with what they did against Washington. Um, and the injuries to 
to Nate Hall and Jordan Thompson are pretty big blows for Northwestern's defense. Um, obviously not sure if Tyler Huntley is going to play or not. And I think that's probably important for the game. But if I had to make a pick, I'd probably pick Utah by a possession in a low scoring game, just because these teams are really similar, but it seems like Utah has a slightly better defense and I've watched enough Northwestern football to know what a good defense can do to Northwestern's offense. And it's not pretty. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome, dude. Hey, thanks again for uh, for jumping on Uh, for Utah fans that want to get a little bit, I want to know a little bit more about Northwestern following up to the game and and during the game. Where where can people find you and and your content online? Yeah, so we're at InsideNU.com under the SB Nation umbrella. Um, You can find us at InsideNU on Twitter, too. Um, We'll be posting articles daily leading up to the game, even though I know it's a holiday week. It'll be kind of slow, but we'll have some content out there. So if you want to read more about Northwestern and um, what they've been doing this season, check us out. Awesome, Davis. Hey, thanks so much. Have a great Christmas and a, a good new year. And, and hopefully, for our sake, it, it's, it's a great game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, hopefully. Um, yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks. Take care. See you. Bye. So, great interview with Rich. Really appreciate him jumping on and giving us that insider's look into Northwestern. And Scott, to your point, these teams do look very similar. They do. They uh, they mirror each other quite a bit. Obviously, it starts at the head coaching position. Just, you know, Pavitz Gerald, kind of like a Kyle Whittingham dude. I mean, just tough as nails. Um, and obviously, it looks like, you know, they struggle somewhat offensively, but they kind of, they butter their bread with the defense, much much like we do. And, I mean, you look at, you just looking at the stats, on the season, they were pretty good in conference at uh, at eight and two. With one of those losses coming in the conference championship game, they just mirror a lot of what we do. Rank really well defensively, um, so I think this is going to be a battle. And it was interesting getting uh, some of that information from Davis in regards to their secondary struggling and being down some guys. That may be an opportunity for whether it's Troy Huntley or whether it's a Jason Shelley to, to uh, take advantage in the air, which we were not able to do um, in the championship game against uh, Washington. Well, you know, I found that comment interesting, too, because I think I brought it up in our last podcast of how when we talked about how our offense struggled in our championship game and then watching Ohio State just kind of pick apart Northwestern secondary, I, that that kind of speaks to why we probably saw that they're just not the same caliber of athletes as Ohio State has on their offensive side of the ball. Um, but maybe we can take advantage of that. Well, and and the other question is, do, do they take advantage against our secondary, which, you know, we've we've been good at times, very good in that Washington game. And and Kyle gets these guys ready for bowl games. We know that. That's just that's 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 common knowledge at this point. But, I mean, Clayton Thorson, 2,900 yards on the season, 60% completion percentage. So he's not – it's not like we're going up against a backup quarterback like we did last year against West Virginia. This the, he, he can throw it. And they don't have the dynamic type athletes that maybe we've seen um, in the Pac-12. Um, but uh, you also don't play for Big Big Ten Championship without having a good team. I, th- I think this is probably one of the better teams that we've played since Alabama in the Sugar Bowl uh, when you talk about bowl games. 
I, I think this will probably be one of our better challenges. So um, Utah's going to have to obviously show up and, and play well. Um, and whether that's a Troy Huntley or, or Jason Shelley, I think obviously we're probably not going to know until game day um, who is going to or, or whether we see both of them. But um, there's no way Whittingham tips his hat on that one. He's going to, even if Huntley's ready to go, he's not going to say it. Well, and it, but if it, but if Troy gets the gets the nod, he hasn't played in nearly two months, so you're going to see a little bit of rust. And and how long does it take him to kind of shake off any any rust? Plus, he'll be, he'll be nervous to take a hit on that shoulder too. I yeah, think you bet. My my question is going to be is uh, what do we see in the run game? They've got a pretty good defensive front. None of us are too, or at least had after the last couple of games, too hip on the way Shine runs the ball. I kind of hope that Green gets uh, some hope, carries. Hope Green is healthy. Yeah, I think he will. It was just, a, I think, a fluke illness. He's not injured. But uh, but I, I kind of hope that we see him to kind of, you know, possibly see what's in store next year because there's the potential that Moss isn't coming back. Green could be could be the guy next year. So it will be interesting what, what Davis said about the injuries uh, to their defense and their rushing game is Utah's not going to have Britton Covey at all to help them in that in that department. So really, I think TJ Green's got to be able to bounce that ball outside. Yeah, and, and then Shine's got to take advantage, running the ball well between the tackles. Um, he, he's kind of got to bounce back. Obviously, I'm, I'm on the fence on... on uh, on Shine a little bit, and uh, so I, uh, this would be a big game for him. There is a load of talent coming back at the running back position next year. I mean, you get Devonta Henry Cole coming off his red shirt. You have uh, we just signed an extremely talented kid in Bernard, um, who may ha- may be able to uh, get some time early. You got Brumfield, um, and then if Moss comes back, I think Shine's got to make a mark in this bowl game. He's got to prove that that he can be the guy because he's had some good moments since he's took taken over. But I just don't. He hasn't been all that consistent, and so we're going to need him to show out uh, really well um, because I think the running game has got to be able to take a little bit of pressure off the passing game. So right now, as we're recording this, Vegas seven and a half point favorite uh, for Utah. Over-unders at 45, uh, bounce between 45 and 46. I'll, I'll go first with my picks. That's how confident I am being our season champion. Oh, my God. Oh, our, our look at so, that. Yeah. The champ. Champion by default. The MVP will sit here. I think Utah gets those win. I have the rule, right? Never pick Whittingham against Oregon or Chris Peterson, you never go against Winningham <laughs> in a bowl game. He is the true godfather when it comes to bowl games. So I have Utah winning twenty-eight to twenty-one. I too will pick Utah. I, th- I think I think Northwestern is a good team, um, but uh, I think lose. You know what we heard in the interview: them losing their best defensive tackle and their best linebacker, and they they seem to be a little weak on the edges. I think uh, Utah takes advantage of that and uh, wins 31-17. Oh, Ryan's going with a little bigger bigger spread there. And looking at uh, this Northwestern team, really good in conference, but they were 0-3 out of conference this year. For those of you not paying attention at home, this will be an out-of-conference game. (laughs) So... 
<laughs> I am going. I think I think it favors Utah. Obviously, Utah's track record um, in bowl games. Score wise, I'm a little bit on the fence because I want I want to say I want to say we go forty, but I but I I just I just can't do it. I just I just can't do it. Even in Troy Taylor's final game. You know he's going to call that wide receiver screen pass <laughs> like four times. Uh, I'm going to go Utah with uh, with 31 points, and and I, and I think I think it's going to be pretty close. I think Northwestern scores 27, so I think it's going to be a pretty close uh, pretty close battle. But I think Utah Utah pulls it out and uh, gets gets us to a 10 win season, which I think is huge. I think you got to get that 10 win season for recruiting. For the program itself, obviously you want to extend the bull streak, which I which I think this team and this program takes pride in. Right at this point, they don't want to be the team that that uh, that loses a bowl game. So um, they'll be ready to go. I'm excited, and I think Ute fans are going to be show up in in force down in San Diego. Harlan has said that they've sold out their their allotment. And even, they've even requested and more. even request, requested more. And then you, I know a ton of people that have that have been going on the secondary market and and purchasing tickets. So I think I think there will be a sea of red, clearly outnumber. It sounds like uh, the northwestern fans and and make it a home field advantage. So I'm excited. I think uh, I think the youths go out uh, go out with a W. All righty. So that will do it for this episode, Ryan. Where, where can people find you on Twitter? At Drum and Feather. Drum, the letter N, Feather. And Scott? You can find me at Uteman underscore forever. And you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at UtahManPodcast. And you can always catch us at our home at UtahManPodcast.com. And be sure to subscribe and give us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere you can listen to a podcast, we are there. And hopefully, Utah gets a bowl win over the Wildcats of Northwestern and go Utes. Go Utes. For the final time, we'll be till I die, Kayai. Go Utes. We're good. Let's cut it. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are their own and are no way affiliated with the University of Utah. Uh... Ho, ho, ho. Hey, uh, hey, kids. Any of you want any milk? <laughs> 32. 32. Nobody scores 30. It's <laughs> the last time you saw any team with a final score of 32. How do you even do that? Didn't you? Oh, no, that was 35. You 29. Could, you you, could, with you, the safety, you could get to 32. You got to get a lot of, uh, you got to get a lot of fill goals and <laughs> some weird crap to happen. I'm kind of sad. This is my final. Kai, your final. You're leaving us or what? Oh, this season. Okay, let me redo that. I didn't come across right.